From Data Rails, this is FPNA Today. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FPNA Today. I am your host, Paul Barnhurst, aka the FPNA Guy. FPNA Today is brought to you by Data Rails, financial planning and analysis platform for Excel users. Every week, we welcome a leader from the world of financial planning and analysis and discuss some of the biggest stories and challenges in the world of FPNA today. We will provide you with actionable advice about financial planning and analysis. This is going to be your go-to resource for everything FPNA. I am thrilled to welcome today's guest on the show, Anna Oblakova. Welcome, Anna. Hello, Paul. Thanks for having me on your podcast. We're really excited to have you. So let me just tell you a little bit about Anna, and then we'll uh, start working through some questions here. Anna currently resides in France. She grew up in Russia. She's worked in FPNA her entire career. She currently works for a large FMCG company, and she also runs the website fpnaclub.com. That's actually how I uh, first learned about her as I stumbled across the website when I was looking for uh, some content for a LinkedIn post and loved what she was doing there and thought she'd make a great guest. So we're really, you know, happy to have her. And Anna, maybe you could start by just, you know, telling us a little bit about your career and how you got to where you're at today. Uh, sure. Thanks, Paul, for asking. Uh, well, I can say that I've always worked in FPNA. That's more than 15 years now. It doesn't actually matter if my position was called like FPNA analyst or something like this. Uh, it wasn't. And moreover, the acronym FPNA was not so widely used then like it is now. Uh, but I've always performed these, you know, core activities of the financial planning and uh, analysis. And uh, basically, yes, I'm, I'm from Russia. I started as an intern in one of the largest Russian banks. Uh, it was a short-term, three-month internship, but these three months, uh, it was they were enough to, you know, to attach me first to the analysis and next to the uh, sector of financial services for the next uh, 13 years. When I found my first job right after uh, the um, graduation, it was the uh, common job of an analyst in the medium-sized financial holding. Uh, but what was remarkable that this holding was very active on the market of uh, mergers and acquisitions. And uh, it's not a bidding path for uh, FPNA specialists, but for me, it was a perf perfect match because I could straight away, straight away um, start with due diligence and uh, business valuation. And that was a combination of, you know, accounting, basics of accounting, uh, financial reporting, understand the um, insights behind the numbers, behind the financial reports, to build financial models and to perform uh, investment analysis. So, well, I spent uh, in this company for around seven, six, seven years. Then I continued to capitalize on my M&A experience and worked in several large and medium-sized holdings. Um, my Main challenges and projects were around aligning uh, financial planning and um, analytical processes uh, within the group. When the you know the newly acquired companies have to join large group, they have to follow all these rules, processes, and so on. That was um, my uh, responsibilities basically. And uh, well, the latest uh, the latest position in Russia. 
for me was the head of the FPNA in the bank as well, um, where I led a team of 10 people from basically building from the ground up the FPNA function. Here, here I am now in France, <laughs> as you told me, I'm working in an FMCG company as FPNA manager. And uh, while well, I support basically strategic and operational decision making uh, and help our executive team to, to, to grow. <laughs> No, great. I, you know, financial services is a fascinating area. I started my career with American Express. I was more on business travel side, but got a little bit involved in, you know, some of the financial services over the years and supported a few products. And, you know, you mentioned M&A and I can imagine getting an M&A experience early on was probably really helpful in FP&A because almost everybody acquires somebody at some point or considers it or does a merger. And, you know, Aligning processes can be a real challenge. So maybe can I talk about a little bit how that how that has helped you in your career. How would you think you know getting that M and A experience early has benefited you? Yeah, exactly. I think that uh, M and A experience was one of the um, main and the the best part of the start in my career. When you see the, this from different perspectives, from the you know, like from the headquarters and from inside, from the companies which are targets, potential targets, or mm-hmm. further they are acquired. These are different things. You start to understand the various types of processes which are which exist in different companies, and you try to find the best practice. Basically, you understand where are the drawbacks, where uh, the advantages are, and this helps a lot in uh, creating uh, the vision, creating the target state of the function and of the process. Now that makes a lot of sense. And definitely seeing different ways people do things can be really beneficial. That's something I've really enjoyed over the last few years as I've started to be part of more organizations and more involved in things outside of just work is seeing the different ways people think about FP&A. Because there's definitely no right way to do it. There's some wrong ways it can be done, but there's no right way. <laughs> I agree. So... You know, I noticed you started a website, the fpnaclub.com, and you know, you've written a few articles on there. You have some great tools. Maybe just talk a little bit about what prompted you to start that. Kind of what, you know, what was the impetus behind that? Yeah, thanks for for asking. Well, the website uh, started in the beginning 2021. At that time, I had some sort of a gap year, but not in a traditional meaning like between uh, for the students, between their studies and the start of the career. It was uh, uh, a year between two jobs. What I want to say is that uh, the purpose, maybe the meaning wasn't the same, but the purpose of this year, of this gap year was pretty much the same, to recharge, to take some time off, to prevent myself from burning out, uh, to travel, to learn some new things. So in 2019, I decided just to quit my job and to go to France to study at a business school. And then the pandemic started with all these lockdowns and, uh, you know, doing nothing. Of course, uh, I must admit that um, the French Riviera wasn't the worst place to, to spend the <laughs> pandemic and the lockdown. Well, but uh, I had some free time uh, that time and, uh, well, Time to to kick off a new project. Uh, we'd been discussing with my uh, friend and partner in crime, Marina, and that was the website devoted to uh, to FPNA and to to FPNA in particular and to uh, finance function in general, which should have been the should be the resource uh, for 
uh, wide audience, a uh, resource for um, information on the trends, on what's happening in the finance, uh, what are the challenges and, um, you know, all the thoughts on different aspects of the financial function and the FP&A processes as well to share our experience and tips and tricks with the freshers and experienced professionals as well. Well, I, I can say I've you know been on the website a number of times and, you know, I think you have some great content on there. I love some of the survey stuff you put together. I know you've also put out some tools. You have an FP&A maturity model, an assessment that you built. Maybe can you talk a little bit about that and what you hope people get get out of it? Yeah, sure. This uh, FPND maturity tool, uh, basically I got the idea of it uh, long before the website. When I had this project to build in brand new finance for FPND function in the bank. And uh, at the beginning, it was just a checklist. Checklist of uh, some questions to go through when, uh, uh, when discussing the future, the, the target um, state of the FPNM function with business leaders uh, to understand what uh, worked well, what didn't work, what their needs were, and how the FPNA function can, can basically help them to achieve their goals. And then just um, I decided to create some tool that I can reuse in my future missions and that can at the same time help to, you know, to present well the vision to understand where we are now and where we're going. Generally, just a questionnaire on the core activities of the FPNA planning, forecasting, performance management, uh, and it's based on the uh, five-stage maturity model of uh, FPNA from the lagging where the when the FPNA function is not even defined. It's performed by the by other employers, employees uh, of the organization by treasury or reporting or maybe even accounting um, up to the visionary stage, the supreme stage of the FPNA function when everything is automated and integrated and uh, yeah, FPNA professionals, they are uh, considered to be more like consultants or advisors inside the organization. I, I can say... I that I really liked the maturity model. Somebody had reached out to me the other day on LinkedIn and said, hey, do you have a good way to assess my, I'm trying to assess this new FP&A function. And I'd referenced your website and your maturity model along with another one that I'm aware of. I think FP&A Trends Group. Yeah, it's FP&A Trends Group. They have one as well. And you know, it was just great to be able to have some resources at my fingertips that I could send people to. Because I think you've done a really good job with that. So you know, I just put a plug in. If people are looking for a maturity model, you know, FP&A Club, com is one place you can go to see one where you can assess how you're doing, right? Figure out where you are on that scale. You know, is it, def is it defined? Is it beginning? Is it advanced? Is it visionary? And it's going to be different depending on which part you're analyzing, right? No company's perfect. Yeah, exactly. And maybe you even do not need the perfect one. The, the highest stage depends on the financial constraints, on the objectives mm -hmm. of the company. It may be a startup or a mature company. It depends on where you are and where you want to be. No, that, that, that's a great point. No company needs to be all fives or all perfect, right? The cost to do that wouldn't be worth the benefit. You got to figure out your trade-offs, just like everything we do in business. So I appreciate that. So recently I saw you wrote an article about the three marketing tools to adopt to become a better finance business partner. If I remember right, it was the SWAT, I think an empathy map, 
and personas. Yeah. And maybe just kind of talk a little bit about how that article came about. I found that really interesting. I think often, you know, one of the areas finance struggles with is that relationship with marketing and getting close. And like you mentioned, right, we tend to be very analytical. They often tend to have more creative people. And sometimes we don't uh, mesh, as the saying goes. So what what was the impetus for that article and what do you hope people get out of it? Yeah, for me, to be honest, um, that's about the mindset. The, the mindset of the, of the finance professionals. Maybe because of our rational type of thinking, sometimes it's very difficult to develop empathy in ourselves. And this is the key for business partnering, uh, the key for what uh, our colleagues, what our internal customers wait uh, from, uh, expect from uh, the finance uh, professional or FPNA in particular. And uh, in my opinion, like I tried to understand how these uh, marketing teams, which are uh, basically considered to be the most creative and the, the closest to the end user, to the to their customers, because they need to understand the needs, they need to understand the expectations of the users, or uh, nobody will buy the, the product if they cannot uh, uh, provide them with the, what they need. So for from the financial um, perspective, from the finance perspective, these tools and the tool set, which um, is um, uh, related to the marketing function, could be adopted by uh, by finance professionals and used by, in their everyday um, life, everyday work, and in communication with uh, other functions, other departments, including marketing or commercial teams or any other executive uh, uh, executive team as well. Here, how the idea came out, and uh, well, these three tools, they just. The simplest, I think, in my opinion, they are the simplest to use and to introduce and to adopt by the by the FBNA team. No, thank you. And I like that, you know, and, and I've used SWAT, but I've never, you know, I've never thought of using personas, but I think it's a great way to understand your business partners, right? What's the persona of the marketing or the operations and to help you think about what their needs are? Because, you know, as you mentioned, if we're really performing well as an FPNA function, you kind of mentioned consultant or business partner we're really strategic partners and you really need to understand your business. And I've always been a big believer in understanding business, but I really like that idea of using some of those marketing tools to better understand who you're working with. I'd never quite thought of it that way. So I really appreciate you elaborating on that and, you know, like that idea. And for me today, the personas and these other things you mentioned become even more important as I'm, you know, running my own business and doing marketing and it, and all those things that I used to just support. I get, you know, you're getting a, you definitely gain a greater appreciation for what they do. So one other article on your on your website that I just would like to highlight and kind of get what was the you know, reason for writing it and what would you hope people take out of it is you wrote an article called Happiness in Finance, where you just talked a little bit about, you know, why people get into finance, some of the challenges, and maybe can you talk a little bit about that piece? Sure. Well, Happiness in Finance was the first article I published on the newly created uh, website. And that was uh, kind of symbolic because um, I must say to our listeners that uh, for me, uh, the FPNA, FPNA is the best profession and I would uh, never have chosen anything else, even if I had a chance. But frankly speaking, it's, uh, it's not a wellness center. <laughs> it's a sedentary work. Uh, in front of the screen 
all over the, again, all day long. And uh, by that, uh, you know, I mean that it's not eight or nine hours. It's far, far more. No wonder that uh, finance professionals have very low level of uh, satisfaction in their job. And um, only 65, if I remember correctly, 65% uh, of uh, finance uh, specialists um, are satisfied with their work-life balance. And it's it was amazing to to discover this point and you know to relate to it because uh, many of us really face this kind of dissatisfaction. I mean, uh, among the finance specialists and uh, in FPA as well. Well, just to to give some context, to, uh, it wasn't uh, you know the something occasional that I lived in Russia. And now I live in France. <laughs> it was maybe the the consequence of some uh, some sort of a burnout because uh, um, I had a great job, had a great team, uh, but uh, something was missing, and for some time I couldn't understand what it was what it was. But uh, finally, I understood that I need to change something, and here I am. I'm living in abroad and sometimes blogging. <laughs> well, just to 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 give some. Comment maybe there is no shame uh, in stepping back and then uh, thinking of what's happening, uh, what are the reasons behind this dissatisfaction and what uh, solutions uh, you can find. No, thank you. I really appreciate that. I, I think your comment about, you know, the long hours, right? We've all been there where during planning season or whatever, maybe you feel like it's 12, 14 hour days and you're just exhausted. I know I've, I've felt that and I know I've left some jobs one of the biggest reasons is the burnout. You just, you get tired. And so, you know, I like that idea of finding, you know, finding your reason, being willing to step back sometimes and recharge. You know, I think, as I mentioned to you earlier, as we were chatting before the episode on a future uh, podcast, we're going to have a couple people that focus on mental health come and talk about that, particularly that have worked in finance and just how you make sure you're managing that work-life balance for you and for your team. Because, you know, you don't want to lose your employees, but we also have to get the work done. And sometimes that does require long hours. And so it's a, it's definitely a balancing act and you want people to be happy, right? We want to enjoy what we do. Uh, so it's for, if you want to know some tips and tricks uh, in this kind of things. Well, I, I'm not an expert at all in, uh, <laughs> in this uh, field, but uh, I can just share some, something which works personally for me. Uh, divide maybe into groups, uh, on work and off work. Uh, as for on work, uh, for me, prioritization and uh, time management uh, help a lot. Uh, plan in advance your activities and uh, try to not to be distracted by some minor things like phone calls or emails. Of course, we all receive lots of them, hundreds of them per day. How I try to cope with it, I created some windows in my agenda, agenda, for example, 15 minutes in the morning and 15 minutes in the afternoon. When I read all this uh, inbox <laughs> coming and try to, to reply or delegate if it's a real task or, I don't know, a project to delegate it to the team, it really helps to reduce the stress level and to focus on major tasks. As for off-work activities, if you have a chance to opt for commuting by feet or by bike, 
that's a perfect option because fresh air helps to recharge and uh, you know to even boost creativity you can get some new ideas um when just walking in the street or i don't know running uh, doing some physical activities as well and what is important for me personally is to reduce the time of uh, using the smartphone especially in the evening we create some rules at home not to use it in bed or after 10 p.m. or something like this That's some great advice. And I think, you know, on work, the prioritization and taking time to get up and walk around periodically, you know, just stepping away from things and letting yourself clear your mind. I know I found that very helpful when I do that. And I do appreciate that on prioritization. And then, you know, personal life, I agree with you, you know, getting out and getting some fresh air or exercising can make a huge difference and just putting some boundaries around some things so you can, you know, try to keep that better balance and keep yourself healthy. So that that's great advice and I appreciate it. Like you, I'm not an expert either, but I think we all we all at times struggle with finding that right balance, right? We're all human. It's part of life. So well, kind of switching gears a little bit, you know, over your career, you know, it sounds like you've had a lot of great opportunities, financial services, FMCG company, you know, a few different companies. What are some of the key metrics that you like to measure when you think of, you know, analyzing and providing those kind of key metrics that a business should be looking at? For you, what are some of those? Uh, it depends on the sector, uh, 100%. Something, sure. something we cannot measure in, uh, for example, in banking, but we can measure in FMCG and vice versa. I'd say that I prefer to adapt metrics to the strategic objectives of the company, 100%, uh, and to focus on the metrics that not only uh, help you to assess the performance of the organization uh, standalone, but to compare your company with the competitors. For example, we can, I don't know, take cross margin, net margin, classic examples. Uh, you can try to find out what are the reasons behind the difference between your, your company and the competitor, or even not your direct competitor, but the similar company in the adjacent, adjacent uh, sector or something like this to find the key success factors and advise uh, to your managers on the, on these success factors. What is good in, in this matrix, it's they can, that uh, they can be calculated uh, on the enterprise level, on the department level, on the product business unit, as you wish. Very useful and can tell a lot about uh, the performance. Uh, but what uh, I would like to emphasize, it's not only about the metrics of the company, it's uh, the metrics of the finance function as well. To benchmark your performance against your peers, there is a lot of information now on the web based on the various surveys. For example, the, I don't know, the length of the budget cycle or the uh, number of iterations, Companies usually have the cost of the finance function of the FPNA in percentage of the revenue. That may be interesting to integrate in um, your in your life as a professional. Thank you. There's you know a lot there, but there were three things in particular that stuck out to me. And the first I really liked. I'm just kind of looking. I wrote down the ideas. You know, adapt your metrics to the strategic objectives, and I love that because you're tying it back to the strategy which is so important in FP&A. We're doing planning, 
to align business objectives with the strategy, not to come up with a number that we try to hit. Obviously, we want to hit our budget or whatever we set, but it's really that alignment process. So I like how that that uh, helps bring that together. The second is the idea of benchmarking, you know, both externally, so we can benchmark our competitors, but also internally. I really liked how you said, you know, benchmark your FP&A function. You know, how many rounds of the budget review do you do? How does that compare? How long does it take you? You know, what's your cost as a percentage of revenue? I know I noticed on your website, some of the infographics, you had mentioned some of those things and kind of what the standards are. So if somebody's curious, I think, you know, you can go to your website and look at some of that. I remember I was looking at one of them this morning, you know, and I think it was like four times is the average or maybe best in class is four rounds of a budget, you know, kind of the bottom performers were something like 11 and, you know, somewhere in the middle was kind of average. And I think I've been on just about every one of those and probably even higher than the 11 before. So, you know, it was, we probably all have. And so I think there's some great, some great content there. So thank you. Those are, those are some really good advices. So as you look at FP&A and, you know, I know you've been working in, in 15 years and you mentioned, you know, kind of at the beginning, a lot of times it wasn't even necessarily called FP&A, right? That, that term is for many companies in many different regions, pretty modern. We're seeing, you know, a transition in that area. So when you think about FP&A and you think about where it's at today, kind of going forward, what do you see as maybe the biggest opportunity for FP&A and then the biggest challenge? It's an interesting question about the opportunities. Uh, for me, FP&A is, itself is an opportunity because it's kind of a mix of uh, different skills, of different activities. And uh, the advantage of uh, the FP&A as a profession is the diversity of tasks, a variety of tasks. But at the same time, it's a challenge as well. Because uh, for me, the, uh, the thing that is most challenging uh, for, the, for us as FP&A professionals is this gap, constantly growing gap between the expectations which evolve every, every year, the expectations of our stakeholders and the skill set we have and we need to develop constantly as well. And this gap, it's kind of growing. Uh, it's very difficult to to, to keep up with the, this evolving variety of um, responsibilities and the complexity of tasks as well. No, I, I completely agree with you. It's very challenging. I saw an article and I wish I would have kept a link to it. I didn't. I just kind of saw the headline, but somebody had commented that they'd done a study from, it was about two, three years ago, I think pre-COVID to something recent. And they looked at FP&A and saw how many skills on average they were asking for a job. And it had gone up on average somewhere between two and three skills, which is like 20 something percent. You know, think about that in just, you know, less than three years. I mean, it just feels like we're constantly being asked to do more and more and requiring to upskill. Understanding BI, understanding analytics, you know, planning tools in addition to Excel and, you know, being able to extract data and statistical analysis and just lots of things in addition to wanting all these soft skills, right? You got to be really good at business partnering. You got to be really good at the social skills. It can seem overwhelming at times. So I definitely think that's that's a challenge. I know it's been a struggle for me sometimes to, okay, where do I focus my time and how do I best stay up on my skills and drive value for the business? So I think that's a great, great one to mention. You know, we're kind of coming up toward the end of the interview here. Just a few more questions for you. 
So one we like to ask people, this is kind of a fun one that we ask everybody is, what's something that not many people would know about you? Something we wouldn't find online, maybe on, you know, on social media or your website or something. I consider myself to be a good cook. <laughs> well, and that's, uh, to be honest, that's a tip on work-life balance because cooking helps me to, to relax after work day. It's uh, cre something creative. So it's an additional opportunity for creativity. You never know what's coming out of your dish, what, what it looks like or what it will be, the, what it will taste like. So it helps me a lot, to be honest. Good. Do you have a kind of favorite recipe or type of food or do you baking or what, what kind of cooking? Maybe I, more. I'm not baking. Definitely <laughs> not. <laughs> I try to try different cuisines and recipes. So uh, based on the first, maybe it was more European cuisine. Now I'm trying some French uh, recipes. But here there is a trick. I, uh, I do not eat meat <laughs> for uh, several years. So um, more more fish-based food. Fun. No, I, I'm a huge, I, lo I, lo I love fish and, you know, I'm big. I eat some meat, but I definitely like a good, you know, vegetarian meal and... I haven't cooked much, much lately. I used to do quite a bit of it and enjoyed it. I might need to have to get back to that. So thank you. That's a, that's a good one. And it's definitely a good way to keep yourself healthy. Yeah. Because when you cook your own food, you know what goes into it. You can control the ingredients. So it's a it's a, definitely a good skill to have. So, you know, here at FP&A today, we're big fans of Excel. Our sponsor, uh, DataRails, is an FP&A platform that focuses on keeping you in Excel. And let's face it, it's what finance uses, right? It's the dominant tool. And so with that being said, what's your favorite Excel function? Well, I presume your guests usually name uh, something like index match or uh, VLOOKUP. <laughs> you know, we actually haven't heard either of those yet, surprisingly. Really? Yeah. Uh, so, well, I'd go with if error. I don't know if uh, <laughs> it surprises you or not. Mm -mm. <laughs> well, Errors can ruin any report or um, presentations, decks, and uh, I don't know, tables. So it helps a lot. Yes, I have written if error many times. And I get done sometimes with the variance column and I'm like, oh, wait, I'm getting all these divide now. I better stick that if error formula around it when I forget. So I, I think that's definitely one everybody's used a lot. And I remember when it came out, when I was first, you know, kind of learning Excel after grad school and I'd have to do the if is error. And I was so yeah. grateful to see the if error. I'm like, oh, this is so much easier, right? You know, even just something as simple as that. So it's kind of fun to watch how Excel has, you know, developed over time. So last question here, what advice would you offer to someone who's starting out in FP&A today? So if they were just starting their career, what would be the advice you'd offer them? Well, be curious and focus on lifelong learning, not only on the, you know, core, uh, core knowledge, competences like necessary in finance, of course, it's must have, but try to spread your knowledge around maybe some project management, both agile and waterfall It'll help a lot in, uh, um, in managing budget cycles and change management with all these digital transformation and other projects around uh, the finance function. Well, strategic thinking and uh, business acumen. Read a lot of articles, I don't know, on some uh, consultants or on products, uh, various 
business models. They appear quite regularly, new models we've, ne we've never heard about. <laughs> That's, that would be my advice. That's some great advice. I love that, you know, being curious, right? Just be willing to learn, be willing to explore, you know, learn to think strategically so that you can be that business partner and really drive value for the business. Because at the end of the day, you know, I know that that's what I want to do as an FP&A professional. You know, the, the standard stuff, the variance commentary, the reporting, for me, that's just the stuff you have to do. I think the area where you really, at least I find interesting, is that partnering and making a difference and driving the, the business forward. And that really does require the strategic thinking, being critical, and you know, thinking beyond just your profession and always learning. So I that that's great advice. And I really appreciate you being on the show today. I've enjoyed talking with you. I've really enjoyed uh, reading some of the stuff on your website. Like I said, I'd recommend it to anyone out there who's wanting to learn a little more on FP&A. It's, you know, one of many uh, great resources that are available to people. So I appreciate you taking the time to write that and put that together and for being on the show today. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thanks to you, Paul, for inviting me.